This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. If you have your Bibles or your notes, I want you to take them out and uh, and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be going through uh, a series entitled Get, Get Real. We're going to be going through 10 marks of real Christianity. 10 marks of real Christianity. Now, I have to warn you today, um, I am so excited. I've been studying. We announced we were going to be going through James uh, for 10 weeks uh, back in November of 2019, and uh, and so I have been uh, ramping up for this for a while. I also had a large Dunkin' Donuts cold brew with two cream and two coconuts, so I am ready uh, to go today. And uh, and I am I'm excited about uh, the message in more ways than one. I want to read the first two verses of of James and kind of give an introduction today. If you want to know the the 10 lessons, the 10 marks of real Christianity, they're in your worship guide. And it's the next 10 weeks, including this week. And, uh, And the cool thing about James is it breaks down the 10 lessons in the first 12 verses of the book of James. It's almost like a table of contents. And so the first 12 verses in, the, in chapter 1 of James gives the first 10 topics that are covered throughout the book of James. Isn't that kind of a neat thing? It's kind of a cool way that it's uh, structured. And so in James 1, in verse number 1, it says, James, a servant of God. Can you say that with me? James, a servant of God. That's who we're talking about. That's who wrote this book. And of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, Greeting. See how he gets right to the point? Greeting. Hello. Okay, now we're moving on. (laughs) My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. This is not being tempted when you're out diving, okay? (laughs) This is different kinds of pressures. The word temptations is from the word perisos, where we get the word pressures from. Temptation would be internal pressure. Trial would be external pressure. And so he's going to give us Uh, In these first two verses, he's going to give us five different keys to having strength. And I want you to notice this uh, in in these verses because he's going to really break this down in in a a key way. He's going to give us some strength. Now, the world wants, wants you to think that your strength is up to you. And I want to tell you something. There's a lot of really good self-help books that will not help you (laughs) because they point you to temporary sources for strength that will only leave you more depleted than when you started. Here's what I mean by that. If I were to eat these fruit snacks, okay, even though they have the name fruit on them, (laughs) it would not give me very much energy because there's not real fruit in them. I hate to spoil it for you, but there's not real fruit in these. They may be flavored fruit, and they may be, give me a little bit of energy. What's going to happen after the energy is gone? I'm going to crash, right? Sugar crash. But when you eat the real thing, when you bring something that actually has nutrients into your body, it gives you strength longer. Uh, when you eat vegetables, 
it gives you a lot more strength than when you eat those little veggie straws. Have you ever seen those little veggies, the little veggie straw, straws? Uh, they don't have very much nutrients in them. And the Word of God gives us strength that is, is empowerment to grow through our pressures. Now, the world wants to say, well, you just need relief from your pressure. And relief is fine, but it's just temporary. Empowerment is permanent uh, growth through the pressure to get stronger as a result. So there's five keys to real strength. Number one, there is strength in service. Can you say that with me? There's strength in service. Did you know you were created to serve? You were created to serve. And all of us need to be serving God by serving others. Now, James says, James, a servant of God. Now, when you think of James, you're probably thinking of the apostle James. You're probably thinking of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. I mean, they were great servants. Uh, John was the beloved. He was the one Jesus loved. Oh, man, what a title. James, okay, that's James the Great. He died uh, by beheading, okay, which is gruesome. But in 44 A.D., right prior to when we believe this book was written. So we're fairly certain that, Bram, that James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this. Why do we call him the half-brother? Because Jesus did not share a father with anyone. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Ghost, meaning God sent Jesus into the world through Virgin Mary, okay? And it's, it's, it's true that she was a virgin. It's just not true that she was divine, okay? So she had divine within her, uh, signifying the fact that humanity, okay, indwelled divinity uh, in Jesus. So Jesus was all part man and all part God, but no other person shared that title, all right? And so Jesus had brothers, four brothers, and we know he had sisters. We don't know how many sisters, but we know he had brothers and sisters. Why? Because in Mark 3, <laughs> he was teaching and he was saying that he was the Messiah, he was God, and they got a little embarrassed by that. In fact, everyone was like, he, he must be of the devil. I mean, he, he can't be the Messiah. I mean, certainly, I mean, he's from Nazareth. It's kind of like the people in Pasadena or, or, or in, in Hollywood, they're like, you live in Palmdale? I mean, really? Palmdale, of all places? And you know what, I used to be like, yeah, yeah, I live in Palmdale. No, I'm like, yeah, I live in Palmdale. I, I, like, I like living in Lancaster and Palmdale, okay? And, and, and so listen, but, but Jesus was from Nazareth, right? And they're like, is, is anything, there's no way Messiah could be from Nazareth. And there's no way. And so, and so they were a little embarrassed. And so in order to save their family name a little bit, they tried to get Jesus to stop teaching. Look, go read Mark 3 this afternoon or log on at 4. We're going to take a deeper look. And I'll tell you a little bit more background. So Jesus is teaching. They literally interrupt the Son of God to tell them, uh, do you want to stop because your family wants you to? Your family wants you to come stop and, and stop teaching and come talk to them. And you know what Jesus says, and it sounds really unloving, but it was one of the greatest things he ever said. He said, wait a second, who are my family? My family are those that believe in the Father. My family are those that, that, that share the same family DNA spiritually. That's what he was saying. Now, how could James, a skeptic, then become, go from skeptic unbeliever as a brother to ardent follower, someone who was skeptical and tried to get Jesus to stop teaching? How could he go from that 
to someone who's an ardent believer, I want, to, I want, you, to sh- I want you to see this. It's looking in your notes. This is fantastic. And, and maybe you knew this, and maybe you remembered it, but I just totally saw this this week. I want you to notice in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul's talking about that Jesus was buried and rose again, according to the scriptures, and he was seen of Cephas and then the 12, and he was seen of 500, verse 6, uh, 500 brethren at once, uh, whom remain to this day. So he's like, listen, if you want to go ask them if Jesus rose again, then go ask them. There's 500, almost 500 alive. Some are dead, but he's like, most of them are alive. Go ask them if they saw Jesus. But then what does he say in verse number seven? And after that, he was sa- seen of whom? James. He was seen of James. And we're almost certain this is talking about his brother. And so the resurrection of Jesus leaves people as either scoffers without proof or followers without fear. And there's no in-between. By the way, when I was 17 years old, I was a scoffer. I was someone who was trying to prove my parents wrong. I was someone who, 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 who thought it was all just kind of a made-up uh, scheme to get money. I, I, I was trying to disprove my parents' faith. And you know what I realized? It was going to take more faith for me to, to disbelieve the resurrection because there's so much proof out there. By the way, if you're struggling with your faith and you want proof of the resurrection, I would love to give you some books that, that will uh, categorize all of the different proofs of the resurrection. But here is now... Now his skeptical brother saying, I am a servant of God. The word servant means doulos. And specifically in the Greek, this has an accent, which means it was a chosen doulos, meaning he was a servant by choice, not by birth. James was saying, I chose to be a servant of the Son of God who happens to be someone I grew up with. So here's a key thought. Strength is not gained uh, by sitting, it's gained by serving. And serving God does not happen by chance, it happens by choice. How do we serve God? We serve others. And it's important for us to realize that there are people all around us who need us. But more than they need us, we need to serve others. We are made to serve others. And so here's an action item, and I want you just to circle some of these action items. This is going to be a really practical study. And, and here's the first action item. I would encourage you this week to look at ways, look for ways that you can serve others with humility and gratitude. How can I humble myself to someone, a coworker, a friend, a spouse, a sibling? How can I humble myself? How can I say, you know, I was wrong. Please forgive me. How how can I show gratitude? You know, there's medical workers here, and I would encourage our church to show them gratitude. There's first responders who need our gratitude. They need our thanks. There are people all around us who need our gratitude, and the way we serve is by showing our gratitude toward them. So there's strength in service. But number two, there's strength in worship. Let's say that together. There's strength in worship. There's strength in worship. And he says, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a very important reason that that all throughout the New Testament, they put these three terms together. Jesus was not his first name and Christ his last name, okay? Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ is really an important thing. I want to break this down for you so you kind of understand why they would say this. The word Lord is the Greek word kairos, and it's it's the exact same word, the the similar word in in, in, um, in Hebrew is Adonai, which is the word that the Jews chose for, for not saying Yahweh, 
or Jehovah, which is the three constant of the three vowels in Yahweh. So they would say Adonai in, in order not to take the Lord's name in vain. They did not want to utter. Even to this day, they will not utter Yahweh. They, they do not want to frivolously say that name. Okay? And so they would say Adonai. Even to this day, uh, some of their Hebrew prayers um, would say Adonai. In fact, in the Shema, which every parent in this tent and on the radio and, and, and in the cars, every tent, uh, every person uh, under the sound of my voice is commanded by Scripture to teach their children the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, we put it in our children's bedroom. We want, and we try to say it almost every night, uh, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. Well, the, the, the word Lord is Adonai. And, and it's a term that, that was really important in the first century, but it's important today as well. Uh, it means uh, to be uh, the authority or master or owner of everything. And the reason why this was important is because there was a holiday in the Roman Empire, and it's actually something that they even celebrate to this day, and it's called the Day of Our Lord. In fact, uh, A.D., the year of our Lord, uh, unfortunately, that's talking about Lord Caesar. And, and, and they would have this day, the Day of Our Lord, and everyone would have to kneel and raise their right hand, and they would have to pledge their allegiance to Caesar. And they would have to say, the Lord, our Lord, is Caesar. But guess what? James the Apostle, he wouldn't do that. That's why he was beheaded. He would not say, because he said, we have one Lord, and the Lord is Jesus Christ. So every chance they got, they would say, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord is Jesus. Now, the word Jesus is, is the word, and, I, and this is unfortunate, but it's the word Isis. And, and, of course, we think of ISIS as a very negative term, okay? Um, and a lot of people say we should call him Yeshua because that's what the Hebrew word uh, that, that he was called is, is, is Joshua, the promised one, the bringer of salvation. But then we say we tag on not just Jesus, which is the Greek term for Yeshua, but, but also Christ, which is Christos. It's it's the it's the Hebrew the Hebrew equal is uh, Mashaka. It means Messiah. It means one that is promised, the Anointed One. It's it's the King. He is the King, and He is worthy of our worship. So this term was a term of worship. They would always give the Lord Jesus Christ as a term of worship, ascribing worth. And here's a key thought from this point, and that is that everyone is a worshiper. Everyone. I've met, I've met atheists, and I've said, you know, you're, you worship. I don't worship anything. Well, certainly, everyone's created to worship. We can't help but worship. We can't help but give value. But self-worship celebrates the creation while ignoring the creator as being the source. So here's a key action item, a couple action items, actually, from this point. I couldn't narrow it down to one, so I had to give you two. An action item from this point is that this week, I would encourage you to practically worship by giving God praise and glory for simple things, little things in everyday life. Get him, give him credit when, he, uh, when you get something right at work, okay? Give him glory even when there's something you don't understand in your family. Uh, give him glory for the little things, the little moments that go well. You say, but there's a lot of big things that are going wrong. Well, let's start praising him in the little things. Here's another action item. Worship God preeminently. By, and this is what preeminence means. It means by putting him first place. And well, how do we do that? By demoting anything that begins to capture our heart more than he does. 
Who gets your desires? Who gets your attention? Who gets your praise uh, by your thinking more than God? You know, a lot of us are worried more than we're worshiping. A lot of us are, like Isaac was saying a minute ago, we're fearful more than we're faith-filled, and we must focus our heart on worshiping God. So first we understand that, that service gives us strength. How do you get strength in a, in, a, in a time of weakness? Worship gives you strength. Thirdly, we have there's strength in identity. There's strength in identity. Now, James says, he continues, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes. Now, the word tribes is the word fael. It, it means, uh, it's, it's the Hebrew word mata, which means branch. It's a nation or God's people branching out. And I want to remind you that in Romans 11, verse 19, and at, this afternoon when we get on the Zoom call for the deeper look, I'll tell you a little bit more about the branches being engrafted. But us as Gentiles, unless you're a Jew, if you're a Jew in here, you are the branch, okay? But, but when, when the Jews rejected the kingdom of God, Jesus said, I'm going to graft in people who are not Jewish into the Jewish inheritance, meaning we can be a part of the kingdom of God, a part of the family of God, because now we are brethren. And that's what he says. He says, to the 12 tribes, and then in verse 2 he says, my brethren. The word brethren is the Greek word eldaphos. It means where we get like Philadelphia, but delphos uh, is, the, is the, word, the, the Greek word for womb. It means a brother. Or someone, when they're referencing brethren, they're talking about fellow born-again believers. People have heard the term born-again. Well, that's what Jesus said. You must be born-again. It's talking about a spiritual birth. And nothing gives you inner strength and stability like embracing your eternal identity. Nothing will give you stability like embracing your eternal identity. Now, if you want to learn more about your eternal identity, we did a whole study on that in our Truth Be Told series, and you can jump online. And, and learn more about that. But here's, here's the, the, the takeaway and, and the key action item, that we must identify God's people as God's children. I will tell you, husbands and wives, dating couples, Danielle and I struggled in our relationship. And listen, we still have struggles. Every, every couple does. But we struggled until I realized that she was not my wife first. She was God's daughter first. And I will tell you, that really helped me. Because when I was viewing her as my wife, I was, I was viewing her as really, honestly, uh, it, it was, it, I look back with shame. And I have to just release that to God because now she's his, she's his daughter first. And, and we're now children of God before we're husband and wife. And so when I treat her uh, with respect, I- I'm, I'm treating someone a part of the family of God. By the way, we are all a part of the family of God if we've received Jesus as our Savior. If you're not a part of that family, you can receive that today. But let me tell you that once you're a part of the family, it changes your identity. It changes your, uh, your perspective. And that gives us number four. There is strength in foresight. So there's strength in service, there's strength in worship, there's strength in identity, but then there's strength and foresight. For he says, count it. Everyone say, count it. All right? So, so, so it's, it's this term that means uh, to, it's, it's hegiomai. It means to 
regard or consider to value, but it means to lead and guide. So he's saying, I want you to lead and guide your mind through your trials and temptations and pressures. Well, well, why was he saying this in, in so emphatic terms? Because they were scattered abroad, and this is the great diaspora. You may have read about this, but the, there were uh, millions of Jews that were scattered all throughout Cappadocia and, and Galatia and, um, and Asia Minor and even Rome. 10,000 Jews went to Rome in the first century. They were scattered all over for trade reasons, for persecution, and all different reasons, but they were scattered abroad. Did you know we've been scattered abroad for 21 weeks? You know, we've been in different places, and people have been quarantined, and there's been all sorts of people every different place uh, for the last 21 weeks. And God wants us to understand something, that when we're scattered and when we're, when, when we're under pressure, there has to be a counting of joy. Count it all joy when you fall into different pressures, different temptations. Now, I want, I want you to know that we're going through a, a different, difficult trial as a society, but we're not the only group that's ever gone through difficulty. You know that? This is Paul Snyder. Paul Snyder uh, was someone who I should have known his name. Pastor Joe knew his name. I'm sure many of you maybe have known his name. Maybe you've studied him. And, and I want my boys to know about Paul Snyder. I want you to know about Paul Snyder. Because Paul Snyder pastored a church just outside, a Christian church just outside of Berlin. He... Uh, he met his uh, beautiful wife. This is their engagement photo. He met his beautiful wife, and they started dating. They eventually obviously got married, and they had four boys. Four, and it looks like four rambunctious boys. Uh, they could barely keep them. Oops, there goes Paul. Uh, can I hand this to you? Um, if you can see, let me see if I can hold it up. Four boys and one girl. Uh, what a wonderful uh, legacy he left. You see, Paul... Uh, was preaching, and he, he was just preaching the Bible, and, and he started noticing that the government, the German government at the time, in the 1930s, started to talk about nationalism, but then they started to add on to the scriptures, and they started to teach things uh, about, uh, about government, that, and they started to encourage churches to teach things that weren't in the Bible. And he started to speak out about it. And finally, the government came to them and said, you can't meet if you're going to teach that way. By the way, that might happen in our day as well. And, and, and so they came to them and he said, if you start talking about the government like this, we're, not only are we going to shut you down, we're going to take you to prison. And so he just kept preaching the truth with love, but he kept preaching the truth. Finally, one day at 3 in the morning, the German government showed up at his house, broke down the door, and took him to prison. And for two years, he, he, he was in prison. Finally, they let him out, and they said, if you don't go back to that city and that church, we will let you, we'll, we'll let you go free. But he just felt like he needed to go back to that church. He needed to, 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 to care for the flock that God had called him to care for. And so one day, right after church, the German government came. This time, they didn't take him to prison. They, they took him to Dachau. They took him to a concentration camp. And for two, close to two years, he preached in that concentration camp. And every single day when he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ alone, they would beat him. 
And every single day he would get up all bloodied and bruised, and he would preach again and again and again. The letters he wrote to his family gave me chills this week because they were not letters of hatred. They were not letters of sorrow. They were letters of joy. How in the world could Paul Snyder be so happy when he was in so much pain? How could he be so happy in in such terrible uh, circumstances? By the way, the reason you, we should all remember Paul Snyder's name is he was the first Christian pastor killed in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. He was the first one. Before the world knew Adolf Hitler's name, he, was, he knew his name. He was preaching the truth. He had joy in the midst of trials. And you see, there's something that he had that's so, so much greater than his present circumstances. He had foresight. And divine foresight provides a perspective beyond our present circumstances. And it gives a future moment that is far greater than it could ever be imagined. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward. Well, when are we supposed to rejoice? Verse 11, the verse before. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil and, fa- and against you falsely. What? We're supposed to rejoice? How is that even possible? How can we count it all joy? Well, it's possible because the real source for Christian joy is not our circumstances. It's closeness to Christ. See, when hardship uh, comes, it's only worthwhile if the relationship it strengthens is worth more than the comfort it displaces. And so here's an action item. I really want our church to foresee what God is building during this pandemic, during this difficult economic time, during this trial of being separated and scattered abroad, maybe you're on the radio and you haven't been seeing your friends and haven't been around those who you love, and, but I want you to see what God is built, building through the burdens you are experiencing. I want you to mark down maybe something that he is strengthening through this trial. And then number five, we know he strengthens through service, he strengthens through worship, he strengthens through identity, he strengthens through foresight, and then finally, he strengthens in trials. He strengthens in trials because he says, count it all joy when ye fall. I hate that it says when. I wish it said if, but it says when. I love this Greek word. It's peripepto. Peripepto, when ye fall, when you encounter. It literally means to, to, to be running around a corner and to, be coming, to, to come into the arms of trouble. Now, there's one thing we all have in common in 2020. <laughs> We're waiting for what's going to come around the corner. One minute, it's murder hornets, right? The next minute, it's like shark attacks on the, on the East Coast. They've had like 10 shark attacks, right? And it's like, what will happen next in 2020? We're like, it's not if it's going to happen. It's when it's going to happen. We're kind of all ready. We're on our toes. Like, all right, what, what's next, you know? And, and, and I will tell you that, that things will happen. Hardship will come. But let me just give you a perspective of trials. That weakness and weariness are inevitable byproducts of living in a broken world. But God is our unending source of stability and strength. And I want you to read something that Isaiah said. Isaiah said, Hast thou not known and not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not nor is weary, neither is searching for his understanding? It says, for he, for he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, 
he increased his strength. Even the, the, the youth shall faint and be weary, and the youth, young men uh, shall utterly fall. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, diverse temptation are pressures that we all face, but we also can experience the strength that comes. So here's the final question I want to ask you. I want to ask you this in just a real and a fresh way. And that is, why would we spend so much time running from the very tests and the very trials that show us and reveal to us where God wants to release his strength? Why why would we run from those things? Why, Why would we be so intent on trying to escape the trials when there are the very points that God releases his strength. Here's a key thought. The only way for God to demonstrate his strength is in a moment of weakness. We forget that, that where we are weak, he is made strong. And I want, to, I want you to go back to the beginning of your notes, and I want you to notice what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He had weakness and, and Jesus says, my grace is sufficient to, for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then he says, most, most gladly, this is Paul speaking now, therefore will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may what? Rest upon me. My prayer is that the strength and the power of God would rest on you. In your cars, I want the strength and power of God to rest on you. But let's get real. If we do not focus our attention on the grace of God, we're going to miss out on his strength. And so here's the takeaway. Real strength is closer than you think because the resources of grace are always within reach. Let me say that again. Real strength is closer than you think because the resources of grace are always closer, are always within reach. They're closer than you think, friend. Now, let me give an illustration to illustrate this. And, and I really want you uh, to understand this. And I, I honestly, one of my favorite people to read is um, Booker T. Washington. He gave a speech where Grover Cleveland, the president at the time, was actually in the audience. And he gave a speech about, uh, you know, racial reconciliation. And it was a really good, just a solid uh, speech for that day, actually, very relevant for today as well. But he told a story about a ship who had been lost at sea for many days. And they had run out of water. And they were completely dying of thirst. Many, many, many men were actually at the point of death. And through the fog of one morning, they saw another vessel. And they messaged to the vessel, we are dying of thirst. Please give us fresh drinking water. And, and the, sh- the ship nearby messaged back, cast down your buckets and draw up the water. Confused because they were in the Atlantic Ocean, they messaged back, maybe you didn't understand us. We are in the ocean just like you are. We are dying of thirst. We need water. Please send fresh water. And again, the captain of that ship said, cast down your bucket and draw up the fresh water. 
The third time they sent the message, but as they sent it in frustration, they said, finally, we'll cast down our bucket. And they pulled up the bucket, and there was fresh, pure drinking water. You see, they were in the 100-mile stretch where the largest river in the world, the Amazon River, pushes fresh drinking water into a 200-mile section of that area of the ocean. They didn't know that there was fresh drinking water all around them, and all they had to do was cast down their bucket and draw it up for water. And friend, I have, I have dealt with many during this pandemic suffering from depression and suffering from anxiety and suffering from many different pressures of life. And I want to remind you that grace is real close and it doesn't matter how big your bucket is and it doesn't matter how big your problem is. There is, there is grace when you cast down your bucket and say, God, I am weak, but you are strong and I need your strength to be my strength during this time. If you're lonely, there's someone near you who wants to help you. If you're in depression, you don't think your way out of depression. You serve your way out of depression. If you're, if you're feeling like you're, you're misunderstood, friend, Jesus understands. And there is strength for you. There is divine strength. And because of these unending resources of strength that are waiting for you, we can be swift. Why do I say that? Well, in order to help you remember the message today, the five points coordinate with those five letters. And next week, we're going to be studying James 1.19, where it says, be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath. So let's go through these five just in way of review. Letter S stands for serving others with humility and gratitude. Letter W in swift stands for worshiping God practically and preeminently. Letter I is identify God's people as being his child, his children. Letter F is foreseeing what God is building through our burdens. And letter T is thanking God for the trials that he's using to showcase his strength. Friend, I don't know what you feel is, is making you weak, but I know one thing. The resources of grace are closer than you think. It is, it, is, it is a lot closer than you think. You may think that no one around me cares. You may think that nothing around me uh, is, is what matters. And I've had close friends take their life because they didn't think anyone cared. And I want you to know if you're listening on the radio and you're thinking of taking your own life, I want you to know that, that Jesus is the giver of life and that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But there is life and life more abundantly. There is hope found in the grace of God. I want to get real this morning. I want you to understand that grace is available to all men. It's not something we deserve. It's something he gives in unmerited favor. And that strength is available to you. There's internal strength for internal pressures. They're called temptations. There's external strength for external pressures. Those are called trials. God's here for you. And he wants his Holy Spirit to minister. But friend, if you keep filling your bucket with things that will not satisfy your thirst, you will always be weak. So let's start filling our buckets with the grace and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Find New Life. Have an amazing day.